0: Hello, welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by the not-for-profit organisation Art on a Postcard. This series will be having some exclusive conversations with some of the phenomenal contributing artists to our International Women's Day Art on a Postcard auction. All of the artists have generously donated postcard-sized mini-masterpieces to help us continue to raise funds for the Hepatitis C Trust. We discuss what inspires them, how they work, and the contemporary art landscape. I'm Rosa Toll, researcher and content creator for Art on a Postcard. And today I'll be talking to Beth Greenacre, art curator for Albright, the female members club, where we will be hosting our International Women's Day exhibition on Monday, the 2nd of March. Beth Greenacre is a curator, art consultant and advisor with over 20 years experience in the art world and extensive art market expertise in both the primary and secondary markets, specifically in modern and contemporary art. Beth was co-director of Rockaby, London, a commercial gallery from which 2004 to 2017 exhibited over 77 artists. Beth has participated in some of the world's leading art fairs and collaborated with institutions worldwide. From the year 2000 until the artist's death, she was curator of the David Bowie collection and in November 2016 oversaw the sale of a selection of work from the collection at Sotheby's. The sale, which took place in three parts, followed a series of exhibitions around the world that attracted an unprecedented number of visitors and broke all expectations in terms of sales. Beth sits on the Courtauld Association Committee and the Steering Committee for the Future of the UK Contemporary Art Market Report. Beth Greenock, nice to meet you. And Thank you too. You for coming into our crazy office. Of course, it's a pleasure. On <laughs> this freezing cold afternoon. Um... So you've worked as a curator, art consultant, advisor, owned your own gallery, ran running galleries, running private collections, working with charities, working with various organizations in the art industry. Why did you decide to pursue such a multifaceted career? And in a way, what I guess what I'm asking is, what's your career origin story? <laughs>
1: Well I think right now it suits me, Um, I think I've always thrived from having lots of different projects on the go and somehow it's all rather rhizomatic, they all kind of feed into each other in some shape or form but I think actually when I was starting my career it came out of a necessity, you know it was the 90s, (laughs) the commercial art world, the art world full stop in the UK, in London is not what it is. Is today. Mm. Um, so you had to do a lot of jobs just to keep afloat. and it was also a really really exciting moment. So mm. you know it was late 90s. I'd graduated from the courthold. Um, the YBAs were really visible. Yeah. and my first non-paid job, my first job was working with Gavin Turk, which was amazing and I learned an awful lot and I' know Gavin for a while since I'd been in college.
0: Was that um, how? Was it socially at first? It, it was
1: socially, yes. Mm. You was just, you know, I, I was just hanging out a bit in the East End, which again was not what it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is today. Um, <laughs>
0: no bids and tatters. No bids.
1: No, no, I mean, there was it was like tumbleweed at the weekends. Yeah. I mean, you just wouldn't. You, there was no reason to visit mm. Hoxton Square. So I started working with Gavin as soon, pretty much as soon as I graduated. He was working towards his South London show, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was probably his first public institution, institutional show. Um, And then, you know, alongside doing that, I was also working in a shop at the weekends to try and earn money and make ends meet, and just doing as much free work as I could, um, mainly for artists, but also a couple of sort of non-for-profits as well. Um, And then I had a lucky break Mm. in the late, very tail end of the 90s, so 99, when I met David Bowie. Yeah. um via um a contact at the in the auction houses right. and that's that's kind of was of course a pivotal turning point in my yeah. career yeah um what
0: was that meeting like
1: well, it was i flew out to New York to meet him, and it was amazing in the sense that instantly relaxed, but halfway through realized that I was kind of being interviewed <laughs> right, 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 yeah. um you know, and I was with my colleague she'd been working with David for many years, so it was, you know, it was a seamless, it was a seamless meeting and a God, there must have fun meeting. <laughs> so <laughs> nice
0: to get there, to be like that.
1: Yeah, but I think with David, you know, you always felt like you were at home with him. I mean, mm. he was such an amazing character. Um, but that was sort of the beginnings of our relationship. Um, and, you know, that relationship lasted up until his death in 2016. So it was nearly 20 years. Wow. Um And it it wasn't just involved looking after his art collection, which is now famous, because obviously when he died, um, part of the collection came up for auction at Sotheby's. And I oversaw and directed that sale on behalf of the estate. But we also set up charities together. We had a foundation that was called Bowie Art, that was one of the first ever online platforms to support young emerging artists, basically to give them visibility. Mm -hmm. David understood right from the outset just the importance and the power of the internet so I always wow. claim that we were one of the first ever art websites I think we were the first ever art website no Well, everybody would say nobody's going to look at art online who on earth would look at a computer screen yeah. <laughs> and, and view artists work and now look at it I mean we trade yeah. <laughs> the auction houses do so much of their business online yeah. artists do you yeah, know I mean yeah. at that point you could never even understand the power <laughs> of social media and how it would impact on the art market but David was prescient. He, you know, he, he understood it, and so he used he used his name to support artists and drive people towards that platform. Yes. But we also worked on lots and lots of other projects as mm. well.
0: How collaborative was that process with him? Like, obviously, him being one of the most influential creative minds of all time, arguably, was it a meeting of minds there in terms of, you know, who guided the projects? How did how did the collaboration work between? them?
1: Well, David was David was incredibly supportive and trusting and, um, you know, we'd brainstormed together. Ultimately, of course, it all stemmed from him. I would never have had an idea that <laughs> the internet was going to no. be what it was going to be. But it was, here, you know, it was David that saw the power of it. Um, and once we decided what the kind of framework would look would look like, I was, you know, going out and doing the legwork, right, right, right. m- meeting. Yes, yeah, so what we actually did was we worked with institutions, so we worked with educational institutions. Mm-hmm. So we provided online space for graduates from the Royal College, from Goldsmiths, from um, the wow. Royal Academy, yeah. CalArts, you know, it was international. Um and, you know, we, and there were lots of other projects kind of stemmed from that. We decided we wanted to have real-time exhibitions as well. So mm. we would co-curate exhibitions of the artist's work um, in pop-ups, like pop-up spaces. At, at the time, we didn't really know they were called pop-ups, but mm. now they would be called pop-ups. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that term <laughs> oh, really? now because I think it's so <laughs> overused. But, you know, I would find shop windows and I like, would knock on the door of Tower Records and go and ask them for their window wow. in Piccadilly um, tube station. I um, know. Anyway, so with those kind of spaces that were just weren't being utilised at that moment um, yeah. across the city, and then we'd do things like when David did Meltdown for um, the South Bank, we did a great big installation at the Royal Festival Hall. Um, so there were always kind of these adjunct projects that would kind of springboard off of, yeah. of off of that, yeah. and then also working with the collection, it was all very much about promoting the artists that he collected. Right. You know, not all of them were alive, many of them were dead, but in mm. our eyes they weren't, they didn't have the visibility that they should have, or they weren't acknowledged academically in the way that mm. they should have. Mm. Um, so again, I would work closely with some of our institutions from Tate to all Academy. Um, encouraging them to loan work from the collection because it was a huge collection yeah, yeah. Um, and it was always out on loan. Mm.
0: And in curating were you and David, um, were you informing a kind of like ethos um, in terms of who, y- who you would use or, or bring into an exhibition or put onto the platform or was it based on your taste level or what you think works in the market? Or
1: well it was never market driven mm. um, And it was never driven by fashion. Those are two things that David would would never um, align with in terms of his collecting Um, or his supporting of artists. It was always about quality for him. There were no hierarchies for him either. Um, So in terms of the exhibitions that we would curate, -curate, co-curate, they often tended to be thematic. So the exhibition at the Royal Festival Hall that was um, co-timed with Meltdown, he came up with the title of Sound and Vision. So it was very much mm. um, artists using sound, using performance, and there was a lot of video work. Um, mm. So yes, it, it often tended to be thematic. Yeah. And just artists that sort of piqued our interest, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and that we wanted to further support. Yeah.
0: Um, and
1: you ran your gallery, Rockby, was it Rockaby? It was Rockaby if you're rockaby, yeah. a Northern lass like oh, me.
0: Okay. <laughs> rockaby if you're... Oh, <laughs> start a gallery in London and what was the sort of reason behind starting up that project?
1: Well again I think it was timing it was a really exciting moment in the market everything had shifted yeah. you know there was a new energy the YBAs had sort of laid the foundations and sown the seeds I think there was more engagement collectors were kind of appearing on the on the landscape art fairs you know were happening that weren't sort of local localised um, events mm. um, and you know the people were take, making use of the East End and low rents um, and I think also I'd, I'd built these really great relationships with young artists via Bowie Art mm. um, and I wanted to further cement those relationships and help them financially so to help build their careers but within a marketplace right. um, so it kind of all stemmed out of those experiences and ambitions I guess Of course, it was pre-crash, so it was quite a buoyant moment. So it was a good time to start a market, but it was also a very fragile time because you set your business up and you did well instantly. Mm -hmm. I say that flippantly, but we worked incredibly hard to build solid business and we did that quickly over a short period of time. And Then, of course, the crash happened and everything changed Mm -hmm. for young galleries with um, a young roster of artists. Um, so, my ethos was always to change the business model, to adapt, to try and preempt what was going to happen or to figure out what may happen in the wider landscape mm-hmm. and adapt the model accordingly. And now I find myself really, really interested in the marketplace, especially having been mm-hmm. brought up in that landscape that has shifted so dramatically over a 20 year period. Business models, gallery models have had to change mm-hmm. quite dramatically. Yeah often the art market or the gallery model they're not the they're not the quickest to adapt to new situations Mm -hmm. um so i for me i think it's really interesting to be at the forefront of that thinking and to try and understand how you how you create models that actually um, are responsive to what's going on in the wider landscape
0: yeah yeah
1: and so now i find myself advising galleries we closed i closed rockaby in 2017 um and you know have since found myself advised a strat- kind of building strategies for galleries mm-hmm. um and and other um, arts organizations
0: yeah yeah um so you must have such a um through just your depth of experience you must have such a clear understanding of potentially the relationship between the quality of an, of artwork and the, and how commercially successful it's going to be, and what sort of trends are I guess popular for want of a better word maybe. What would you say now is the is the sweet spot between good quality artwork and commercially successful artwork? Sorry, there is a phone ringing in the background,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you don't need to pick it up. <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> See, I guess because I was, I was, I was educated at the I have quite a traditional art historical mm-hmm. background, and I've always approached my um, collecting. When when I say collecting, I mean that for, with clients, because mm-hmm. I still maintain um, private collections or collectors. Um, I tend not to be driven by fashion, mm-hmm. because. The art world can be quite fickle, yeah. um, and tastes tend to change quite quickly. I think when I'm looking at a working, you know, let's be honest, I've looked, I've been looking at art <laughs> for a number of years, um, so I do have my own particular taste. But I often say to myself, "Is this artist going to be make it into the art history books?" Um, and that's one I think it's I, I respond best to right. best to work. So. I I think fashion Mm. Um, and the market is driven by fashion of course Um, and there's also so many different markets going on Mm. you know Mm. um, when we launched the gallery to go back to that moment the emerging art market or collectors buying emerging art were um, many now they're few and far between because the financial markets you know the art market always follows the financial markets Mm. Um people are feeling very cautious at the moment, and um, that is reflected in what they buy mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah, and of those ones that you feel you can imagine fitting into the history books, do you find for yourself that there's a there's a certain correlation or could it literally be any medium any take any form?
1: I think take any form, and I think it's really exciting looking at you know, new mediums, today's um, t- technology and, wow. um, you know, I I've, I've found myself looking a lot at photography recently. Yeah. Um, and we forget that photography, the marketplace only ever st- started in the 70s. I mean, it's such a immature market in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now we can we talk about post-internet art and, yeah. and AI and artists using technologies that you know in the 70s would never have been dreamt of um, I think any artist who explores their medium um, to a great degree um, is worthy of you know our support I guess and yeah. our um, inquiry
0: mm-hmm. great um, So I'll move on now to discussing the work that you do at Albright currently, um, where you are the curator of the All-Female Members Club. Clubs. Clubs. (laughs) Clubs. And they're growing. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Where we obviously are going to hold our International Women's Day exhibition for the auction. Um, Working there, there, does that imply a kind of feminist ethos, I guess, to... uh, the sorts of work that you're sourcing does it, it does the artists have to be all female to be in the all females members club? Well, yes. <laughs> 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 I mean, yes. Um, I mean, first of
1: all, I I I've always conduct my life through a feminist lens. I think you you know one uh, should never question that. Mm-hmm. Um, are all of the artists female? All of the artists um, relate to being. Um, To being female, Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, is is a simple answer. Mm. Does it? They're not necessarily artists who are addressing feminist issues, but they are artists who um, are women navigating a tricky landscape.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, Um, and they all, all of those. I mean, so the collection is a loaning collection, so I work with commercial galleries, with print publishers, with institutions such as Camden Arts Centre and the Whitechapel Gallery, with private collectors and with artists themselves, um, all of whom loan work to, to the um, sites. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so all of my collaborators and all of the Albright's collaborator, collaborators obviously really align with the ethos of the club and are huge champions of what we stand for mm. um, and how we support artists and people working in the art world
0: yeah.
1: um, through the work that we do.
0: Yeah 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 because the spaces provide are uh, networking spaces yeah. aren't they for women who work in business of all kinds um, and obviously the art that you have on the wall there will create the environment will shape and create the environment that's in,
1: the, in which those women feel kind of supported. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, The Orbit launched nearly three years ago, mm-hmm. um, and was the first of its kind in the UK. Um, and yes, as you rightly say, they are spaces in which to network, they're spaces to work, they're also spaces to relax and enjoy oneself. Right. Um, but they're very much about supporting women in at every stage in their career. So, there is an academy where you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you don't have to be a member, you don't have to be a fee paying member actually to do the online courses. Mm. And so, they provide, as I say, online courses. You know, the two founders who are phenomenal Mm. um, have written a book that was published last year. You know, there's a magazine. there's wellness sites on each space, but it's the content that they put out, which is really, really valuable, I find. So, you know, from hosting things like art on a postcard to panel discussions um, to seminars on wellness to pitch days wow, as yeah. well. So, there's an annual cool. pitch day, we partner up with HSBC, there's mentoring in house to prepare um, wow, people yeah. to present. Um, it kind of looks at everything one needs to grow and develop yeah. um, in, in one's career but also in yeah. one's personal life as well. And to have this supportive network. So there's also an online platform and you can connect to members around the world mm. um, yeah, via the internet, yeah. of course.
0: That sounds brilliant and so necessary. I was reading recently about how um, much imposter syndrome affects women over men um and the statistics are just staggering And like the amount of women that feel like in a pitch for instance or in a networking room that when it comes to actually talking about this project that they've put in so much work their whole Mm -hmm. life their blood sweat and tears into this project and they come to talk about it and suddenly go am i bragging am i being too much maybe i you know maybe this project isn't what i thought it was and suddenly just being played with all of that that comes from a systemic history of Mm. of Patriarchy and mm, sexism. Mm, mm. So it sounds like a really important thing yeah. for for women's mental health. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can certainly say i suffer suffered from imposter syndrome. Syndrome, you know. And I think maybe in the art world and the, uh, the the marketplace in particular is male dominated. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of the Albright is this is real lean in supportive kind of attitude. The amount of times I've had. Um, members come up to me and go are you Beth Greenacre can I have a conversation about this or I'm just about to launch a new product would you mind just five minutes and there's this real kind of collaborative supportive energy which is amazing a real sense of community Um, and nobody is um, afraid to have a conversation with with you yeah yeah think that's really really important you know and lots of the networking events that they also put out encourage Mm. that as well
0: yeah so do you do you give a, a lot of advice? To I do quite a
1: few panel, um, host a few panel discussions. Let's look at women in the arts, I guess, and how we can support female artists in the art world and beyond because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the members, or the majority of the members are, you know, come from business. Um, I'm always happy to give advice. You know, I write a col- column in the magazine, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I find... I find people ask for advice more readily than they would oh, that's elsewhere.
0: Yeah, so in terms of what advice they're asking, is there one question that keeps coming up that you have developed a kind of answer for that you could share um, with me Say, Like, what's kind of the most common problem, I guess, that people come to you with or query?
1: I find the interesting conversations are about bringing creativity to business, but mm-hmm. I also think... On the flip side, I'll be the one to go, What about bringing business to creativity? You know, because yeah. the two actually yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, can really learn from each other. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one that's the kind of area of conversation, topic of conversation that often comes up when we're in the club is, you know, how can you think creatively? how can you stop and look at the world in a different way? And I think that's what the art on the walls of the Albright also allows us to bring to the table Definitely. as well.
0: So is that where you point them towards in that circumstance? Would you say, you know, look at this artist or go and go to, a, go to try out a gallery, for instance, and engage in art? Well, I often
1: say, yeah, just take take a Saturday afternoon and go and have yeah, a look yeah. at, at stuff, engage. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So important. Yeah. And so we've got Guerrilla Girls participating in our exhibition that highlight uh, the importance of diversifying uh, the industry that surrounds artistic practices. Um, what do you think we can all do better? What could we all do to encourage that and support that?
1: I think what we need to do is support each other as women um, and support each other as women in the art world. Um, I think in the UK we've seen great leaps forward in terms of gender parity across our institutions. Um, The marketplace has a long way to go to um, catch up. Um, You know, if you look at the auction rooms, for example, there's very few female artists that make it into the evening sales, which is kind of the top tier group offerings um, an auction will have. galleries our commercial galleries also need to look at the statistic, statistics and yeah. um, re-evaluate what gender parity looks like because in all honesty you know it's not it's not um it doesn't look great mm. um, i think also in our arts press we need to be supporting and writing about more female artists and rethinking what art history looks like because so many yeah. female artists were written out of art history mm. um, you know there's there's so many essays to be <laughs> written about that. And there are amazing people doing amazing things and they should be celebrated as well. Yeah. Um, those that are championing um, lost voices yes. um, and female artists and young female artists as well.
0: Oh, well, like yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you, i hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, having All Bright as our exhibition space for this year's auction seems perfect, it being the International Women's Day. Um, and we're very proud of the work that's coming in and also to be exhibiting in such a fitting space that you've you know contributed to and continue to contribute to create for so many women and um, so thank you so much. We're thrilled.
1: Me. I'm super excited yeah. I can't wait for the auction I, know, I it's <laughs> going to be so excited I mean, I'm really excited I've yeah. got a, my eye on a number of works Do already I ask No <laughs> that would be unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I
0: can't wait to be there, and um, we'll catch up further there, I'm sure. Great stuff. <laughs> well, you are doing our talk on the Monday.
1: On Monday, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, I'm super excited. I'm not. I'm sh- hoping to hear much more from Caroline Kuhn and Vanessa Jackson and Lara Davis um, than myself, um, <laughs> all of whom I'm great fans of. I've known Lara personally and have actually included her in an exhibition i curated at Rockerby many years ago and right. um, so it'd be great to reconnect with uh, her yeah, um, and obviously huge fans of caroline and vanessa as well so yeah, i'm yeah. excited
0: yeah i think it'll be brilliant i think all of you are just so wonderful that, <laughs> you know you have so much that we can all learn from so it'll be brilliant um great. so thank you so much for coming and our crazy thank you this. thanks for inviting <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!